You're listening to Season 2 of We're Talking Leasing, a podcast series from Weirfolds LLP's commercial leasing lawyers in Ontario, Canada. In Part 2 of the season, our lawyers and guest speakers discuss key topics through the lens of the COVID-19 pandemic, such as navigating the real estate market, landlord and tenant issues, and how to prepare for future crises. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone. Um, as some of you might know, I'm Karsten Lee, and I'm a partner in the Commercial Leasing Group here at Weirfolds. And joining me today is... Alexander DiCenzo, um, an associate in the Commercial Leasing Group with Karsten. It's nice to be here on a podcast. Yeah, and it's uh, great to have you um, join us in, in uh, delivering these podcasts to all of our listeners. And uh, today's topic will be uh, what everyone has uh, at the forefront of everyone's minds and in everyone's lives, which is emergency and pandemic planning. And in today's podcast, we'll, we'll be speaking in how, of, in how emergency and pandemic planning relates to commercial leasing. Yeah, we've had Lisa Borsig talk about the current state of the real estate market and Krista Chater talk about the issues arising from post-COVID recovery. So we're continuing that series of hot topics today. Um, so as an introduction, Karsten, emergency and pandemic planning in the context of commercial leasing doesn't just relate specifically to the drafting of leases. Am I right? We're going to discuss other ways landlords and tenants can be proactive with respect to future pandemics, such as preparing exit and re-entry plans, new office designs and materials, new work environments and operations, improved technology, and so on. But is there anything else that comes to mind when you think of pandemic and emergency planning in the context of commercial leasing? Obviously, there's a lot going on. And the first thing in everyone's mind in, in the leasing industry is, uh, especially leasing lawyers, is the commercial lease. But aside from the commercial lease, there obviously is a lot of other things going on. And at the end, and you did mention uh, a lot of uh, a few of those things, which we'll touch on uh, a little bit later on in this podcast, such as you know preparing an exit and reentry plans and so on and so forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, for all parties, uh, you know, entering into any lease or who are in the middle of a lease, uh, what each party will need to think about is each business's needs. So for example, from a tenant's point of view, uh, tenants will want to make sure that they have flexibility to allow their business to adapt in the event of an emergency, right? And we've seen a lot of examples of tenants um, adapting their business uh, to because of the pandemic. Well, I'd say it's been interesting to see. I, I live in the downtown core, so it's been interesting to see sidewalk bars pop up for bars that can't operate like inside anymore, pop up grocery stores. My hair salon even developed their own PPP and created eucalyptus hand sanitizer. So I'm say, I'm seeing all these tenants get on board of the pandemic um, planning for sure. Well, absolutely. Like, you know, those, those are definitely the uh, types of tenants that we see at the forefront every day while we're walking down or driving down the street. Like, you know, um, restaurants who have adapted so that they can do more of their business from a takeout basis. And then, uh, you know, uh, regular retailers being able to adapt to offer their customers curbside pickup, but also what we don't see, uh, you know, just from 
looking at, at a store or, or, or uh, an office from the outside is that what's actually going on in the inside. And they've obviously had to make changes to their premises. You know, we, we've seen all seen the plexiglass, but also in terms of offices, a lot of tenants have been shifting around office space, shifting around desks so that they can have proper physical distancing within the office. Um, there's new directions, for example, that all employees need to walk uh, in within an office. So there, there's minimizing of contact between people while people are walking from their office to uh, an, another end of the office, that sort of thing. And there's obviously a lot going on that we don't see, uh, you know, safety measures that have, that have been put in place both by the tenants as employers and landlords as the obviously the, the owners of the building. And also there, there's a lot of different uh, communications going on, you know, between landlords and tenants and employers and employees and whatnot. Um, so again, everyone's got to think about what their business's needs are. And, you know, so we spoke a little bit about the tenant's point of view and how they need to have flexibility to allow their businesses to adapt. But also from a landlord's point of view, um, they've also uh, had to take on a lot of different you know, things that they've normally, or they've never had to do, you know, such as pandemic planning, um, thinking about measures that they need to do, um, thinking about insurance concerns, for example, and uh, they security measures that they, they need to put in place. And, uh, you know, the landlords also need uh, some flexibility in what they can do during a pandemic. Um, you know, for example, again, in an office building, landlords have had to adapt that they, you know, they've had to make sure that there's physical distancing in elevators and in uh, the common areas. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, parties need to be proactive. Um, like like uh, we're, we're staring the second wave uh, straight in the face right now. And, uh, you know, there's... We're, we're at least coming from a position where we're a little bit more ready than we were, let's say, 12 months ago. Uh, but we still need to be proactive just in case um, there are other curveballs that are ahead. And we will need to be able to continue to adjust quickly. Um, you know, like we said, the lease is still important. It's what governs the relationship between the landlord and the tenant. Um, it's what gives each party the rights that they enjoy. And... Uh, you know, but uh, on top of the lease, there are other aspects that need to be thought about. Yeah, I don't think anyone um, realized how difficult and complicated day-to-day -day operations get when restrictions are imposed. So it's definitely something to plan for. Um, but in your opinion, do you think landlords and tenants were prepared for the current pandemic? I know after the SARS outbreak, parties were more mindful of pandemic and health emergency provisions. Uh, I don't believe they were commonplace and COVID brought new government mandated regulations and closures that landlords and tenants have never experienced before, at least from my knowledge. Well, you know, it, were we prepared? Um, I think, you know, if you were to kind of rewind and put yourself in our shoes, well, more than six months ago now, let's say 12 months ago, were we prepared? Probably not. Uh, was anyone expecting this? No. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think from an operational point of view, uh, 
uh, everyone was able to adapt relatively quickly, both landlords and tenants, right? Like it was impossible to prepare for something like this. You you did mention SARS, uh, but that was completely different. Um, you know, 17 years ago when SARS came about, um, it really didn't have the same effect as COVID. Um, offices weren't shut down. Malls weren't shut down. Governments didn't shut uh, non-essential businesses down. So that was a completely different animal. A lot of people who had the forefront of, um, you know, foresight of thinking through issues uh, such as this may have predicted it. But I, I think a lot of people ended up not listening uh, as much as they could have uh, to those uh, visionaries, shall we say, um, brings to mind brings to mind um, Bill Gates and you know all his documentaries and warnings about how a pandemic would affect the globe and uh, you know he was right and a lot of people just either um, didn't have time to think about those sorts of issues or you know probably uh, a lot of companies just didn't have the resources to be able to throw uh, at preparing for something that would have happened like this but you know at the end of the day, we were able to adjust fairly quickly. And I think overall society has adapted and uh, you know, we, we're all coming out of, of it generally okay, given the circumstances. Obviously, some people would think no, and some people would think, oh, it's even better. But uh, you know, I think overall we're okay. And you know, um, a lot of leases, uh, did not have do not have pandemic clauses but generally i think everyone got on the same page since it was government that mandated the closures the question i have though is what happens if it was a slightly milder version of what we got uh, earlier in 2020 like let's say it was a milder version and the government didn't take decisive clear-cut action and they didn't give that those clear-cut instructions to, to to have, you know, stores, malls, offices shut down. What if the government had left it to the parties to make that decision? What then? Like, what if the landlord decides, you know what, I want to shut down the building, but then the tenants are like, why would you want to shut down the building? It's not that bad. Like we said, everyone's got their own opinion on everything. But, you know, what if one party wanted to do go one direction and the other party wanted to go a, a different direction? Um, then that's when, you know, pandemic clauses and leases would have been really tested, right? There is a lot of different opinions during this pandemic. Some tenants wanted to close. Some tenants wanted to stay open. Some landlords had different measures. So it's true. You'd have to look to the leases in those cases to see um, what rights each party has in terms of closing and continuous operations. Uh, absolutely. And, and at the end, you can't really be fully prepared for, you know, a pandemic that's never happened, right? The question now is, will we be prepared for the long haul, right? Um, you know, like, what happens if this pandemic goes on for another year, well, two years, right? And the issue at that point in time is obviously that well, one of the biggest issues that is going to be popping up is uh, the financial issue, right? Like, will tenants be able to weather the rest of the pandemic financially? And uh, landlords as well, what happens if vacancies really start to trend very much lower than it is right now? Will the landlords be able to weather uh, the whole pandemic financially? 
um, you know, for example, how exactly will office towers adjust if physical distancing remains in place for a few years? Will there be enough elevators? Like, um, you know, what happens if vacancies start uh, piling up on, at these office towers? Like landlords will really have to um, think out of the box and, uh, you know, how, how to entice tenants to keep staying in these uh, large offices, like whether or not it's the landlord's going to start using delivery services up the service elevators to get lunch up to their their tenants, you know, stuff like that. And I think everyone will need to, you know, be more creative and work together to overcome all the difficulties, no, no matter how long it lasts. Yeah, no one wants to wait four hours for an elevator, but I think um, everyone involved will probably cooperate maybe there will be different shifts or something so half the office building isn't there on one day and then the other half is there another day oh no hopefully it doesn't go on for two years but you're right we have to be able to prepare for that bringing to the point going back to pandemic and health emergency clauses and how operations are kind of dictated and the decisions that landlords and tenants can make are dictated by the lease. So looking to the future, when parties do enter into new leases or enter into negotiations for extensions and renewals and other ancillary agreements, what are some of the items um, they will need to think about during these negotiations in terms of pandemics? What clauses should parties focus on with respect to emergency and pandemics um, and future lease negotiations? Okay, no, that's a very good question. And I'm going to talk about three of the biggest uh, clauses and issues that have arisen uh, since uh, the pandemic started. And I'm going to talk about a handful of other clauses that uh, parties may want to think about. So the big three, so to speak, are force majeure clauses, the fixturing period, uh, and, and clauses surrounding that. And the last is the pandemic clauses that... Uh, we've alluded to earlier in the podcast. So the first one is force majeure clauses. So what happened when um, COVID first hit uh, and there was a government mandated closure of uh, non-essential businesses? So what a lot of tenants first did was to take a look at their force majeure clauses to see if there was any relief that was brought about by the wording set out in force majeure clauses. And just as a little background, force majeure clauses are um, generally, at least in common law provinces, uh, interpreted based on the actual language that's set out in, in the document. Like there is no common law right of force majeure. It's whatever's in whatever the language is in the lease is how the courts are going to interpret it so uh with that in mind uh so most tenants open their lease uh as you can imagine the uh 90 whatever percent of leases are on the landlord standard form and you can imagine what it says which basically says too bad so sad tenant um you know even in the event of force majeure you still need to pay rent to the landlord so, um, you know, obviously that's the backdrop uh, of what's been going on. And moving forward, uh, well, presently, uh, it's already started happening, as you can imagine. And moving forward, tenants are really going to start thinking about whether or not they will be uh, or they should be paying rent uh, during a force majeure event. 
And, you know, on the flip side of it, landlords obviously uh, will want the rent to continue because they still have mortgage payments to make pandemic or not. So in negotiating force majeure clauses in the future, um, you have to think about a few things. The first thing uh, to think about is whether or not a pandemic or COVID-19 or any other emergency in the future would actually be considered a force majeure event. So you'll really need to think about what uh, types of events or situations are actually going to be defined as force majeure events. And like I said, uh, courts are going to interpret the clauses based on the language. So if you want a pandemic to be a force majeure event, you better put it in specifically, you know, health emergency, pandemic, such as COVID-19, SARS, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that way, it's not arguable that uh, a force uh, a pandemic is not considered a force majeure event because there are, I've seen a lot of force majeure clauses that did not consider a pandemic to be a force majeure event. Um, the next thing to think about is uh, how the force majeure event is actually triggered. So um, if you're going to be general and say, oh, a pandemic is um, you know, a force majeure event, well, you don't want to get into an argument that a pandemic halfway around the world is a force majeure event. Like uh, you might want to be specific and say, a force majeure event is if a government mandates a closure that arises due to a pandemic or health uh, emergency and that sort of thing. Um, the next thing to think about is whether or not you need some sort of notice or trigger. Um, some force majeure clauses do talk about you need to have notice provided by the tenant to the landlord in order for you know uh, uh, an event to be considered a more force majeure event. So think about whether or not that is feasible or uh, if it's something that the parties do want or not want. And uh, finally, rent, right? So parties really should consider whether or not a tenant must continue to pay rent during a force majeure event. Um, like I said, a lot of tenants have started asking and trying to negotiate with landlords for the right to abate rent in the event of a force majeure or in the event of a pandemic. And as you can also imagine, landlords have been saying no. Um, however, any new lease deal will have to, I would assume, um, you know, have parties come to some sort of compromise. And, uh, you know, there's many ways to figure out what that compromise might be. Like, for example, if a you know, I've seen deals now where landlords have agreed, okay, if a pandemic uh, goes on and you can't operate for more than, you know, X number of months, weeks, days, then you get to abate, you know, full rent, half rent, or a percentage of rent, that sort of thing. So there's very many ways to um, come to some sort of compromise. And I'm assuming going forward that, you know, given what has happened over the past few months, uh, I'm assuming that there is some sort of leeway for parties to come to some sort of compromise. So that's sort of the force majeure. I feel like the payment of rent during force majeure um, is a very controversial topic right now. And I know tenants and landlords are coming to many different types of compromises. And I guess it depends on the situation. But is there um, a certain compromise you think is best between the parties? Like, you, do you think it should be placed on one party? 
they each have their own businesses to account for, right? Uh, unfortunately, there is no magic pill. Uh, and uh, I hope none of our listeners have come to this uh, podcast hoping that there is a magic pill because there isn't. And uh, as you can imagine, it's uh, a lot of it is on a case-by-case basis. And you know, landlords who are desperate to have tenants come in and fill a big vacancy in their plaza may well be uh, more uh, willing to compromise with tenants. And there's always going to be those properties that are going to always be fully leased, no matter what happens. Like, you know, even after, you know, whatever, the most powerful earthquake, people are still going to run to these malls and keep, uh, and tenants are always going to be wanting to stay in there. So there's little incentive in those situations for landlords to compromise, right? So uh, it depends on each situation. So yeah, it's all about bargaining power, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so so that's force majeure clauses and, uh, you know, a, a little bit to chew on. You're listening to We're Talking Leasing by Weirfold's Commercial Leasing Lawyers. Are the issues being discussed far too familiar for you during this time of crisis? If so, our lawyers are here to help. No matter is too big or small. Send us a message at firm at weirfolds.com and we'll get back to you as quickly as possible. Now, back to the episode. Um, the next big uh, bucket of clauses, so to speak, uh, to think about when you're negotiating leases in the future are the, fi- the clauses that surround the fixturing period. Um, you know, due to the government mandated shutdown of construction sites earlier this year, uh, many landlords and tenants were not able to continue with the construction and fixturing of their premises. So when the government order to close construction, uh, to shut down construction was announced, so many tenants were in the middle of their rent-free fixturing period, but uh, they weren't able to, you know, complete their fixturing. So, uh, you know, they were basically burning and wasting their rent-free periods because they weren't able to continue to do the work. Conversely, at the same time, many landlords were in the middle of their construction um, uh, and they were not able to deliver the, you know, the premises to the tenant. And in certain circumstances, there are uh, leases that allow, that give tenants uh, the right to penalize landlords or ask for some sort of damage uh, payments in the event landlords were not able to turn over the space within a certain date. So landlords were caught in a pickle um, in that as well. So in the future, going forward, it's definitely very important for all parties to be mindful of possession dates and the length of fixturing periods and whether or not fixturing periods should be um, extended in in the event of force majeure, pandemic, health emergency, that sort of thing. Um, You know, from a landlord's point of view during a pandemic, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to guarantee a set delivery date to the tenant. Uh, and, uh, you know, have a mechanism to allow the landlord a little bit of leeway uh, in the event they can't deliver the premises. Um, and on the other hand, tenants also need that sort of um, uh, leeway to, to be able to, you know, come back in and continue their construction and not have to face um, the rent commencement date, you know, staring them in the face. Um, so, you know, obviously these things have to be thought about and negotiated and, 
um, one thing that tenants might want to think about or, and landlords um, might want to think about in terms of giving getting some sort of extension is whether or not they need some lead time to get uh, construction crews to mobilize after a shutdown. Like uh, I've heard that, you know, some in some scenarios, construction crews were dispersed uh, and they had to go home. Um, and then when the construction sites were allowed to reopen again, you know, a few weeks later, it took uh, crews three weeks or more to remobilize because they had to travel back to where the construction site was quarantine for two weeks and then uh you know get materials ready and whatnot so it's not like you know construction sites are open flip a switch everything is back uh to normal you know we really have to think about that quarantine period and remobilizing period uh, and, you know, obviously in these scenarios, uh, what ended up happening uh, during these situations a few months ago when no one had these rights to extend the fixturing period, the key there was good communication between the landlord and the tenant, just to make sure each side understands the concerns of the other party. Um, yeah, so that that's uh, that fixturing uh, period clause bucket. And the last bucket was the uh, pandemic clauses. Uh, so clauses that dealt with pandemics and health emergencies. And these clauses, like you mentioned, um, you know, some landlords had had the foresight to put it into their leases after SARS had taken a hold, um, you know, a few years ago. But the vast majority of landlords and the vast majority of leases didn't really uh, adopt any of these types of clauses. Um, so what are these clauses exactly for those of you who don't know what a pandemic or health emergency clause looks like? Uh, they are clauses that typically, um, you know, allow landlords uh, or give landlords very broad rights during a health emergency. So, for example, it, the landlord, you know, has the right to impose new rules and regulations. They have the right to restrict access to the building. They have the right to require a tenant to decontaminate their premises in certain situations. They have the right to require tenants to or, or visitors to be subject to a health screening upon entry to the building. Um, they have the right to require tenants to participate in health emergency drills and you know minimize certain obligations. So yeah, they allow landlords to let's say stop providing janitorial services, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and most importantly, these health uh, emergency clauses also typically contain language that absolves the landlord from any claims or liabilities that may be brought on, you know, in connection with uh, the something the landlord does or they don't do, you know, uh, in the event of a health emergency. So as you can see, these clauses uh, provide very broad rights for landlords and to their benefit. So it would be very smart for tenants to take a closer look at these clauses and not gloss over them when they're negotiating the lease. Uh, and, uh, you know, tenants should at least try to introduce some language that requires the landlord to act reasonably in these circumstances. So, you know, landlords are just not going, uh, you know, running roughshod with all the, you know, now these are the new hundred and five rules and regulations in the event of, you know, a pandemic, you know, there has to be some sort of reasonability built in. So that's uh, my suggestion is to definitely take a look at those and see what uh, clauses allow landlords to overstep their bounds. 
uh, and just uh, add in a little bit of reasonable reasonability. In them. Yeah, maybe pandemic and health emergency clauses will be the next um, staple in leases and amending agreements moving forward. Oh, I, I, I'm very sure it will be. And we'll be seeing a lot more of it. And there's going to be a lot more. And, you know, after coming, everyone went through the pandemic. So they, they know exactly now for a similar kind of pandemic, what they want to happen, not to happen. And But the thing is, you never know what uh, what other future events might bring. So not everyone has a crystal ball. So we'll see how, you know, negotiations go in terms of those. Uh, other clauses, just quickly, just to run through, um, just to think about use clause, number one, you know, tenants had to shift gears uh, during the pandemic. So just make sure that uh, the use clause is broad enough so that tenants can expand and remain flexible uh, during a, an emergency and that sort of thing. So, for example, again, going back to our earlier example, which is can tenants, uh, you know, offer takeout, can restaurants offer takeout if they didn't used to can they offer curbside pickup they didn't used to that sort of thing or can they you know can a restaurant now shift and become a grocery store like you said those sorts of things to think about uh, next thing to think about tenant uh tenant might want the right to reduce space obviously landlords don't like um giving tenants these rights but you know if tenants have the muscle and can negotiate these rights you know, in certain circumstances, then obviously that's something tenants might want to think about. Uh, next group of clauses to think about are transfer provisions. Um, tenants might want the flexibility to assign the lease without landlord's consent or, you know, in circumstances uh, such as these, maybe to sublet a portion of the space so there is a, a subtenant helping out with the rent, you know, and, um, you know, uh, over the past few months, landlords have been extremely busy. Um, so they can't really go through all the consent rights uh, required um, for any transfer or sublease in a timely manner. So tenants might want to think about some sublease rights that they might have without having to go to the landlord for consent in certain circumstances, pandemics and whatnot. Uh, next group, uh, tenant tenants' ability to make alterations to the premises. As we just noted, obviously tenants have had to make changes to um, their premises, put a plexiglass change, uh, you know, in I've seen walls having to be moved. <clears throat> so tenants might want to think about putting into the lease, you know, to give them that flexibility again without having to go to the landlord for consent. And the last thing, just a minor uh, kind of uh, provision to think about, but more on the practical side of it is are um, the notice provisions in the lease. A lot of notice provisions require registered mail, courier, personal delivery, and all that, as opposed to email. Um, and there's obviously reasons why uh, some parties don't like to receive notices by email. But you know, in 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 pandemic or emergency situations, a lot of parties were not able to send the courier or personal delivery or go to the mail um, to post office to mail something. Uh, and there are there may well be situations in the future where no one's allowed to leave the house. Who knows, right? So yeah, so those are some of the clauses to think about when you're negotiating leases in the future. We're trying to stay positive, but trying to be proactive. Yeah. Okay, so 
That was great. A great rundown. I think that helps all our listeners out there. I think that was probably their main focus to see what they're going to do in terms of lease negotiations. But now that we've discussed how to make leases as foolproof as possible in terms of pandemics, there are other things that tenants should be doing outside of leases that pertain to their operations and whatnot. I think to start, the first avenue that tenants looked to when they were forced to close was their business interruption insurance. But I know a lot of insurers were declining insurance coverage to tenants who were forced to close um, because the vast majority of insurance policies set out that payouts for business interruption would only be available in the event there was physical damage to the premises. And in the event of a pandemic, there was no physical damage to the premises, maybe to people, but this was a loophole for insurers. But there was a recent case that came out that gave people hope, right, Karsten? And it seemed to come out at the perfect time. Yeah, so there was this uh, insurance case that came out right around the end of March uh, that opened the door. I'm not saying it's going to be a slam dunk, but uh, it opened the door for tenants to be able to claim business interruption insurance in the event of, uh, you know, events similar to COVID where there is no actual physical damage that occurred. So just kind of to rewind a few steps there, uh, what ended up happening, uh, you know, all tenants, most, well, all tenants are required, but most tenants get um, uh, business interruption insurance. And you would think that, oh, business interruption insurance, my business has been interrupted by this pandemic. I'm going to go now to my insurance uh, insurer and say, hey, I need some, uh, you know, some funds to help uh, pay for rent, pay for um, lost profits and all that. And you would have thought, oh, business interruption insurance, I should be covered. But it turns out um, that uh, business interruption insurance typically, typically for, you know, the vast majority of policies only pay out in the event there is physical damage. And since there is no physical damage brought about by, uh, you know, a pandemic or health emergency, then insurance, insurers generally said no. And uh, from what I understand, I'm not an insurance expert, but the only um, situations where a tenant was able to uh, receive business interruption insurance funds was if they um, purchased an extra rider uh, for, you know, health emergencies and pandemics and whatnot. So a lot of tenants were left out in the cold, so to speak, without uh, any relief from their insurer. This case that came out in March, the case was called MDS Inc. uh, and Factory Mutual Insurance Company. And what that case stood for in a nutshell was that um, in certain circumstances, and in this case, a possible nuclear meltdown, um, you know, you could uh, classify that sort of circumstance as physical damage, even though there is no physical damage that has actually occurred. So that opened the door for tenants to um, uh, claim for insurance. Uh, obviously, it hasn't been litigated yet in the context of COVID. Uh, and we'll see in the next few months whether or not you know tenants will prevail uh, in being able to 
claim under business interruption insurance policies. Yeah. But again, to be positively proactive here and not rely on the decisions of the courts, although we have great litigation lawyers at Weirfold to help you if needed, um, you should purchase that specific rider for pandemics, right? Yep, absolutely. You should think about doing it. I can only imagine how much it'll cost going forward. Uh, but, you know, again, like uh, it's all about planning. And if it's something that uh, makes sense uh, from a financial point of view, then definitely think about purchasing that rider. Uh, so the next thing that in addition to help business prepare for the future in terms of pandemics outside of um, their leases specifically, they can prepare exit plans as well as re-entry, reintegration and continuity plans. Um, so that they're ready for potential pandemics because these plans will help businesses manage their operations more smoothly um, and help them set out how they will continue to operate during a pandemic. Um, I know some businesses have even created pandemic planning committees um, which have helped them pre be proactive. I don't know if this is gonna continue into the future past the pandemic and keep them instated, but it'll be interesting to see. Well, there's always going to be a risk, I guess, that, uh, you know, need to be planned for. And uh, I think uh, these, this past few months have definitely made a lot of people think, uh, well, if this can happen, what else could happen? And how, how, are, how, how are we going to be preparing our businesses uh, to cope with those kinds of issues? I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying every company has the resources or uh, to deal with questions like that. But I think, you know, especially a lot of the larger companies do have those sorts of scenarios. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to definitely have at least general plans in their back part pocket. Um, they definitely have to be customized to the business and the business employees in the work environment. Because as we discussed, each work environment is very different and they had to adapt differently um to the pandemic than you know a restaurant versus an office i know our office has adapted pretty quickly and efficiently um and they came up with a plan right away um but we always suggest that businesses consult with lawyers and licensed medical professionals and occupational health and safety specialists to design these plans because they can be really helpful um during a pandemic and if you develop one now then you can use it repeatedly, hopefully, even though future pandemics, while we hope they do not happen, are going to be a bit different, maybe. Um, but that's all in terms of plans, unless you have anything else to say, Karsten. Uh, I have one last thing to say, um, for offices especially. Um, the one uh, thing that has been brought to the forefront is the, the importance of a very sound and stable IT department in, in each of the offices, like uh, the whole migration from, you know, working from the office and working from home for companies that were prepared and had a strong IT department and IT plan, they were able to shift, um, you know, to working from home quite seamlessly within hours. Whereas um, there were companies that I've heard um, that, you know, some workers were two months after the start of the pandemic still not able to work from home because they didn't have proper IT 
policies and procedures uh, in place. So I think that's going to be um, a really, really big uh, part of any pandemic or emergency plan in the future. I think that working from home was definitely a trend before the pandemic. And then um, this definitely pushed us into the future. And it's been interesting to see um, all these businesses suddenly um, develop these IT platforms so that their workers can work from home. Um, But we'll see. I know a lot of people I've talked to have enjoyed working from home. So this might be going outside of the pandemic where workers might want to actually stay home. So offices will have to figure out how to be as productive in the office and at home and have everyone communicate seamlessly and work together seamlessly no matter where they are. So that's a good point. Um, And then I think the last thing that people have to think about outside of their leases would be new office design and materials, new work environments and operations. And like you said, improved technology and digital platforms to support working from home. Um, Because with this pandemic, everyone had to readapt and re-scramble and work with what they had. But I think they're going to plan for the future and how to make their offices as optimal as possible and as flexible as possible to adapt to any scenario. I agree. I, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, it's it's all about uh, planning and putting it all together and, you know, making sure that uh, it gets updated periodically. So it's not completely, you know, 20 years from now, they're brushing off the uh, pandemic plan from 2020. <laughs> I think uh, I've heard like I've read in articles and I've heard on other podcasts like I think they're going to start looking at new office materials and designs. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen to open concept and shared workplaces um, because I know this pandemic probably push them back to traditional allocated desk formats and a lot of physical common spaces and offices were shut down. Uh, But in the long term, um, businesses are apparently going to start making science driven decisions with respect to office design and they're going to start looking at smooth surfaces and easy to clean fabrics and antimicrobial surface shields and self cleaning adhesive surfaces, all these big words. But Um, they're going to start using these in offices so that no matter what is brought their way, um, they're prepared and everything is easily adaptable. And I know there's also going to be hands-free technology um, in terms of equipment such as light switches and computers. So there's going to be a new whole office design, I think. And before that, it was the whole open concept shared workspace. So it's going to be cool to see what happens of office buildings and developments and see how everything's going to be um, designed in the future. Yeah, no, it'll be very interesting to see. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to add one last uh, tidbit before we go about um, office materials. And I can tell you that the technology um, existed long time ago in terms of hands-free lighting and whatnot. If anyone remembers the clapper, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And with that, hopefully, um, you know, everyone listening has uh, learned a little bit uh, more about uh, emergency and pandemic planning. 
if you have any questions, uh, please do feel free to reach out to either Alexander or myself. And uh, hope everyone stays safe out there. And uh, yeah. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of We're Talking Leasing by Weirfolds Commercial Leasing Lawyers. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to hear from our lawyers on another topic, send us an email at publications at weirfolds.com. Stay well and tune in again soon.